was the ending of that game. Third. Oh. Say die. Brian? Tough one. what that was. I'm gonna take the kids home, okay? Okay, yeah, my truck's up on Main Street, so. Okay, all right, everybody in, let's Bye. go. Okay, it's straight home. Lee, Lee. Exploring faith and fear. What scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Asia Schwartzentruber. My name is Schwartzentruber because that's my name. We know that typically with you are your co-hosts, Nathan Rouse and Reed Lackey, but we thought we heard some really weird clicking noises in the bushes outside, so we figured it would be a good idea to send them out to just you know, check on whatever it was. We may also have strapped some bells to their ankles as they walked out, you know, for safety. <laughs> we may not see them for a while. So while we wait to see if they make it back, please allow me to welcome you listeners back to our series 2020 one more time, making our way through your top horror films of the bizarre alternate reality that was 2021. Last week, our non-patrons finally got caught up on the horrific goings-on on Crockett Island, and it definitely made all of our blood run cold or extremely hot. Just stay out of the light. That's right. Reed and Nathan had their full conversation on the Flanover's favorite, Midnight Mass. But today, 
we are not being nearly as quiet as we should be as we eagerly tiptoe our way through A Quiet Place 2 with foreign correspondent Vera Gowdy and longtime friend of the fog, Jess Fishley. It is ladies night once again. Hello. Hey. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Round two. And oh, it's so exciting. Um, we got invited game. back, guys. We got invited back. They actually asked us. <laughs> it's, it's big. It's big. Yeah, apparently last time we didn't break the podcast. So they, they're giving us another chance to see what happens this time. Okay. Uh, now, ladies, if you wouldn't mind checking to see if any music comes out of this radio for a minute, while I remind listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find essays, team bios, episode archives, and everything you need to dive headfirst into the world of the fog. Now, some quick business to tend to before we get into things. Uh, the first of which is go vote for the foggies. The nominations can be found along with all the other aforementioned goodies at fearofgodpodcast.com under the tab Foggies. And the winners will be announced Oscar weekend. That is so exciting. I'm really looking forward to the Foggies. The second piece of business is, guys, if you haven't yet, join the Patreon. If you know Fear of God, if you love Fear of God, or you're just some benevolent stranger, you can join our growing community of lovely patrons. Once you do that, you can gain access to amazing discussions like the recently concluded Midnight Mass, yeah. TV Guide posts, as well as the fun segment Stump Read, which is we are not featuring this week because no read. Mom, mom. And <laughs> he's got bells of- on his ankles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he may never come back. Our bet. <laughs> Speaking of Midnight Mass, be sure to check out Friday's Midnight Mass Clergy Roundtable. Super fun, super exciting. It's a discussion of said Netflix series with a group of new friends to the fog who are also themselves clergy. It's a rich conversation and a great coda. I am a coda. It is a coda. Uh, To the fog's discussion of Midnight Mass. But guys, enough of all that business go away ladies we are here it is ladies are we are oh my goodness once again which it sounds like given conversations immediately prior to all of us congregating right now that this may become more of a regular thing than we might even have suspected 30 minutes ago (laughs) oh yeah there's another piece of real time (laughs) real time this is the business that actually matters, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, guys, you're hearing it. You're hearing it slightly after we heard it. Very slightly after we heard it. Literally minutes. <laughs> minutes. Um, but Ladies Night is going to become a regular feature on the Fear of God. That is right. We are going to be your quarterly queens, everyone. Tune in to Ladies Night every three months or so when the three of us will have a discussion about a super awesome movie we've all watched. Huzzah! And thank you so much, Reed and Nathan, for trusting us to not 
break your podcast on an ongoing basis. Do you feel like it's happenstance that it was International Day of the Woman two days ago? Do you think Mm. Reed and Nathan were like pulling this together, thinking about it? I mean, that. It's kind of amazing if that's how it came together. <laughs> I just like to think it's our sheer talent, but you know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, abs- I mean, or they want a vacation together. and they're just like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it is good to see the three of you again. I mean, the viewers or listeners, not viewers, listeners will see. You're looking at yourself us. too. So you are, it's good yeah. to see you and me and you (laughs) it is wonderful to see all of us oh i think what you want to know what i really want to know guys Mm. i i have one burning question it is so deep right now but i just have to know whatcha what about watching or reading (gasps) have you been listening to anything What you watching? What you watching? What you reading? Reading? What you listening to? Hi, family. Good job, <laughs> Vera. Do you want to start us off with something that you've been watching or reading, ingesting in some way? Yeah, I'll start us off. So, Rob and I have been watching this British game show called taskmaster i'm going comedy here guys because why not we need a little we need some laughter in this world today um we need some laughter after like we need some laugh. <laughs> so um taskmaster is a british game show that i am addicted to it is like my emotional support show it is the funniest thing if you like me enjoy watching people struggle to do simple tasks, then the taskmaster is for you. So it is five comedians. Um, they, it's the same five comedians every season. They start off with five episodes and then they build up later seasons or 10 episodes long. Um, and they have to do five tasks per episode. So one is a prize task. They bring in something like their most valuable item, their most expensive item, something creepy. Like there's a brief that they have to follow. Um, there's three pre-recorded tasks and then there's a live task and they're all awarded points. Um, and then at the end of the series, they win a trophy. Um, it is hilarious to watch people just fail <laughs> or <laughs> how their brains work in weird ways. I enjoy it so, so much. It is like the lighthearted, fun thing that everybody, I want more people to know about it. So Taskmaster, not the American ripoff. Watch the British one. Mm -hmm. They're all free on YouTube in Canada and the US. So you can just binge them. And you said they're all comedians? Yeah. All of the the guests are like comedians. Um, I would start with season two. Season one is funny and great. But season two is when it really gets its footing. And the best task ever is season two, episode one. Um, Even if you just look up like Taskmaster series two, the potato. (laughs) And they have to get a potato in like a golf hole without touching the, you know, like the golf green, but it's red. So without touching the red green, get the potato in the hole. Fastest wins is the task. And so they're like, okay, what do I do with this potato? If I just throw it. 
then I'm going to lose the potato on the green that I can't touch. So how am I going to get this potato in the hole? And they have to be really creative about it. And it has everything. It has tears. It has slow motion replay. It has a vote. Like it is the best task of the show and it sets the tone. Start there. And then yes. And then and then come and talk to me about it because oh nobody else I know watches Taskmaster. <laughs> How did you find it? Um, I think it randomly came up on Rob's YouTube one day and he was like, this is hilarious. You have to watch it. So then we watched it and I was like, this is exactly my type of humor. <laughs> I like people struggling to do simple tasks. I like news bloopers and I like any audio with the the wicked or the um, Wizard of Oz argument. I will listen to that ad nauseum. So... <laughs> <laughs> the wicked witch awesome. of the east bro it's, it's on my it's on my what it's on my sweater <laughs> hold on hold on hold on your sister was a witch like oh. that's how much i love it <laughs> that's so funny oh so wow. if you have that type of humor you'll like taskmaster <laughs> oh my gosh that's delightful like so perfectly delightful <laughs> delightful is a good way to describe this show yeah it is just it is a delight Oh. <laughs> Jess, what about you? Oh what's, my goodness. What's so on? I feel like I'm going to take your delightful balloon and just be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. so, and I also, I go back and forth. I always kind of have a spare. It's funny. We were talking about planning organization or just pure anxiety. So I totally get, I'm always like, I feel like I need a spare because what if one of you has the same one and we didn't talk about it ahead of time. So, and I also, I feel like I'm always do I want to talk about this? And the week before we talk, I'm always like, I'm, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then like something will come up and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I need to do this. And I go always go back and forth between two, but I'm, I'm landing with my more heavy one, um, which was the Netflix documentary Winter on Fire. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. It no. is a Ukraine's fight for freedom. So mm-hmm. it was a um, documentary made in 2015 about the student protests that arose in 2013. And it started with students and grew larger, but it was roughly, and I'm not a, you know, political explaining, I'm not going to do this well, but basically from what I understood, it was just when they were wanting to join the EU and their corrupt leadership at the time that Putin was pulling a lot of the strings, turned them down about joining the EU. And it just went from protest to basically a revolution. And it's an amazing documentary. I tend to, um, documentaries are probably my first film love. So I'm always kind of drawn to those first. And it was something I had seen a couple of places. And um, I believe last week, Netflix made it free on their YouTube, just kind of to draw attention. It just gives people a little bit of history. Because again, I, um, I'm almost 45. So I grew up in Cold War era. Like I roughly know some of these things. Like I remember, you know, the USSR and Berlin Wall coming down and things like that. But to truly understand like what's going on with the invasion today, I feel like I process by, I want to know the history better. I want to know what's going on. It's, it's, um, it's a lot, it's heavy. And um, I don't know, watching this movie, like, I mean, it's heavy and I'm not going to 
tone it down. Like it is real time people being shot. You see them, you know, die on screen. Like it's, it's one of these where it's amazing. I'm like the harm's way, this man, and I'm going to try not to destroy his name, but Evan G. Efineski, it was directed by him. Um, these shots, like it's amazing. Like it's really just a real time and it's, uh, subtitled. So it is, it definitely took me, I was pausing and going back because I'd get so engrossed in what was happening on screen. I wouldn't be able to read the subtitles. And then I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not sure what's going on. So it was, it was work to watch, but I feel like it was definitely um, a worthwhile investment. Yeah. And what's, sorry, what's the title again? It is called winter on fire. Ukraine's fight for freedom. So um, you just really get a sense of the Ukrainian people. Like I have to say, um, I feel like I'm reading a lot. And this movie, just you really see some some people that um, they've got some grit. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely something that I want to that I want to check out. Thank you for very relevant, poignant, poignant whatcha. Oh, my goodness. Um. Mine is, it's a, it is neat. I guess it is somewhat in between the two of yours. It is uh, not light and, and, and chipper, uh, but nor is it a real time, uh, genuine life tragedy. Um, I revisited a movie that I just freaking love. And a lot of people don't like it. And I can understand why in a lot of ways, because it is not a perfect movie, but gosh darn it, if I just don't enjoy it every time I watch it. And that is the horror film As Above, So Below. Oh. Have either of you seen this film? Oh, maybe. What it's, is it about? <laughs> it is about a group of like almost Indiana Jones type, totally non-realistic, very young um archaeologists, historians, mm. researchers, like people way too young to have the degrees that they claim to have, <laughs> but who cares? Yeah. They but they're go probably good looking. Of very much so. Yeah. And they dress, they dress <laughs> like they're in a video game. But the the point of the of the film and all of this could be gleaned from a trailer is that they venture down into the catacombs below France or below Paris, mm. excuse me, to um, discover the philosopher's stone and in doing so encounter a spiritual realm and forces that none of them were ready for it, it is it is like the descent but with way worse dialogue and way better scares in my personal opinion um, it is creepy it is atmospheric it gave me one of the best like unexpected scares i've ever had in a horror film ever i showed it to a friend the other night and she grabbed my arm so tightly she lifted herself out of the, the couch <laughs> that is perfect it it it, it just Pings everything with my sensibilities that I find enjoyable. I get claustrophobic. And again, it's down in the catacombs. And it was actually filmed in the catacombs. So these are actual bones and things that they're filming with. And I'm, I'm very, very interested in the concept 
that spiritual places, I'll word it that way to not give spoilers, can be reached by physical means. Mm. I've always loved that concept. And even though it is not a perfect movie, this film deals with it in such a creative way. I, I love it. I get spooked every time. I want to get spooked every time. I'm here for this ride. Oof. I and the fog has not covered it yet. So I'm just uh, interesting. Yeah, I just looked at, it at pictures from it and I don't think I have seen it. It's not ringing mm. any bells. So mm. I will this, check that out. This might be a summer quarterly queen. Just <laughs> it out Ooh, potential. So much potential. Uh-huh. They give us a little leeway and I'm like taking it. I'm like, all right, anyone else, anything else you want to add to the roster? We'll just go ahead. We'll map it out for the air. You handed us so much, guys. <laughs> Well, like, wait a minute. Phenomenal <laughs> cosmic power. <laughs> uh, so I think that was a good watch a session, gals. Yes. What you watching? What you What you reading? Reading. What you listening to? So quiet place too. Slightly less quiet place than the first quiet yeah, there's... place. <laughs> yes. Less quiet, more place. Yeah. Yeah. More, more place. <laughs> more. <laughs> We've just summed up the movie, guys. Less quiet, yeah. more place. So kind of as we transition at least a little bit to talking about this movie at all, I would really, really like to take a moment to actually read the text that I sent to Vera when we were kind of initially trying to figure out if this was the movie that we were going to talk about. Um, So I'm cropping it a little bit because it was longer than this, but this was more or less my thought process that I sent to her as to why this could be a good option. And I said, you and Jess are both parents. Jess is all about being resourceful. You speaking to Vera could speak to the sign language element of it. I am not a mom, nor do I understand sign language, but I do have a huge fear of dystopian tragedy, and I did ask my sister for Killian Murphy to jump out of a cake when I turned 16. So if there is nothing else I can contribute to this conversation, (laughs) it is that. Did did you get the Killian Murphy cake? (laughs) I I got a very (laughs) wanting to know here. I got a very tiny laminated version of Killian Murphy with a word bubble. Uh, taped to him that said happy birthday Asia because he's Irish in real life (laughs) stuck in my cake and I think I still have that in a scrapbook somewhere (laughs) (laughs) so if I cannot speak to the heavier elements of this film just know I have a lot of Killian Murphy jokes (laughs) written down (laughs) that is awesome that is awesome oh my goodness that's too funny Um, yeah so Quiet Place 2, um, what, so I don't think we can talk about Quiet Place 2 without speaking a little bit on Quiet Place 1, um, because it takes place immediately after, right? Like the end of Quiet Place uh, 1, um, Emily Blunt, she, she cocks the gun and then it goes blank and then you could just start up the next movie and it starts right there. Truly. Um, yeah. Um, so what did you guys think about Quiet Place 1, Quiet Place 2? Which one did you like better? Oh, man. I, again, kind of like me with the going back and forth. Like, even though I know I've read over and over that this, they did not want to do a second. As far as John Krasinski, he was like, 
it's done. It's good. It wasn't meant to be a sequel. And even I read, you know, Emily Blunt was like, no, like this is just not a movie with a sequel. I feel like together it's such a great story. So I'm having a hard time, like, cause there's definitely elements. Like I love that first one with the, I mean, uh, her relationship with her husband, you know, and I, I see her as the main character now that like, we're talking about the second I'm seeing her as the main character and thinking of him as the supporting versus the other. And then it moving to be more about the kids seeing like the kids come a little bit more into their own in the second. I don't know. I mean, all of that to say is I really like both of them. I think they are a great time length. Like I'm not going to lie. I love that they're both under two hours and like tell a brilliant story. (laughs) And I've heard the phrase classic horror movie a couple of places from very mm-hmm. respected people. And that's why I feel like you get the jumps, you get what you want and it's, it's done quickly. There's no wasted space. This is such a lean movie, both of them. But that was one thing I even wrote found wrote down for today was just how lean this movie is. There's nothing wasted at all. It's so, I really so appreciate how intentional Krasinski is with his camera work. Like mm-hmm. as a director, yes. like at every shot, and everything in a shot is very intentional. Um, and it makes for, um, as you just said, a lean movie. And I super appreciate that because sometimes I don't have time for the two and a half hour movies. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it's hard. It, it gets harder to enjoy longer movies yeah. when you have lots of children and are tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Agreed. which one of them? Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Vera. Oh, which one? What's the question? Yeah. Which one of them do I like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like them both. I am partial to one. One is a, like perfect in my books. It's a mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Um, I love the, I think the chemistry between, I mean, they're married in real life. Obviously they have chemistry. Um, <laughs> uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt is amazing. I love their dynamic as parents in the movie. I love their struggles in the movie. Um, the whole, the tension and the stakes in that movie are so high. Mm. And, and because I think it was made to be a standalone movie, they don't, this, the same stakes, I don't feel carry over into the second movie as much. Right. Like, I feel like if it was intended to be two movies or a trilogy, I think it's going to be a trilogy. Um, then maybe the Lee, the dad character would have died in the second movie. Like that would have been you know, not happened in the first movie. Um, But because Krasinski is such an intentional director and because he loves and cares for the Abbott family, like he, he's not George RR Martin. Who's like nihilism. Everybody's nobody's (laughs) safe. Everyone's going to die. Like he cares about his characters. So in the set, like, because there was so much loss and grief in the first movie, Mm. I didn't feel like the stakes were as high in the second movie because I had the feeling that they were going to be safe. Mm. Like they had, like, for lack of a better term, a little bit of plot protection because it is a sequel and potentially part of a trilogy, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. It's just not like 10 out of 10 perfect in my book, but it, I liked it a lot. Like it's still high up there. I still hold it in high regard. Right. Mm -hmm. Asia. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like this. I feel like I kind of get to round it all out a little bit. I So I love both of them. I don't in any way want my love for the first installment to be diminished by the fact that, spoiler alert, I, I, I do favor the sequel. Mm. Um, but I don't in any way want the first installment to be to be diminished by that. They are both, I find to be stellar pieces of art. They are incredibly intentionally crafted films made by, like Mira said, somebody who loves his characters, respects his characters, respects his audience with how he handles his characters. Um, and I think I think the biggest pull for me towards this film, is that the emotional oomph that you get from the sacrifice of John Krasinski's character, I think his name was Lee, um, in the first film is enormous, but it did not inspire me, I feel, the same way as the emotional power of watching his children rise up to take his place in this one. That, to me, was such an empowering, wonderful, just glorious experience to see these children literally together, although in separate places, take up his mantle and and move forward. Because they say so early in the film, you know, when she sets out not to get into themes too early, but just to sort of accentuate the point, she wants to go out and help these people. And she says, it's what dad would have done. And he says, well, and look where that got him, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's also, it's adding to the lesson of yes, sacrifice and selflessness is more important than selfishness in this situation. But not only that, there is a life beyond that there is victory. There is, I'm getting ahead of myself, but <laughs> I think yeah, it definitely carries over the theme of hope into yes. the the second movie. And I think as Jess, you mentioned that the pair of movies, like they do, they, they flow one right into the next one. And they are both really wonderful. Like you can watch them back to back. Yeah. And, and enjoy them and, and they're enjoyable even in multiple viewings. I think all of us have seen them all more than once at this point. Now I would like to mention that we all did our homework for this episode. So we watched number one, number two, I went back and I listened to um, Nathan and Reed talk about the first one. And um, there's, there's a, a little bit of awkwardness. I think, I think maybe they, they let us have a uh, quiet place too, because they didn't, they didn't want a sequel. And I think, yeah. And hearing from our production crew right now that they have a clip from that episode to tell us exactly how Reed felt about a sequel movie yes, exactly four leaf so basically the uh the other thing is like we've talked about with the babadook with the witch with several other things this is one of those rare horror films that i don't want to see a sequel right yes i don't totally i don't totally. want to see anything more right. i don't want it to be connected to anything else i want it to be this beautiful wonderful horrific little fable and yep. and you know quasi inspiring and we'll get to all of that i love that it is just a thing unto itself. And I really, in my, you know, heart of hearts, really just want it to stay that way because I yes. think it's really special. I'm, um, I'm, so I'm anyway, totally with yeah. you. And all I was going to say earlier is, um, and man, I wish we had. Exposed. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's okay. Everybody's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's wrong. They're allowed one mistake. <laughs> I think we are all in agreement that while the first movie would have been like, if it was left as a standalone film, we would have loved it. Yeah. And we also love that there is more. Absolutely. So, and the fact that the two main stars also were not in agreement that this was a sequel was necessary, that they felt yeah. like the work had been done. Like you said, it was, it told the story they wanted to tell. And yeah, and we, how many sequels have we said where we're like, why, why you yeah, didn't too many, it. too many, <laughs> so. but they treated this one with just as much care. You know, yeah. like nothing got lazy along the way yeah. because this was expected of them. And yeah. and ugh, yeah, I to me, again, be personally being partial to this to this sequel, I you know, it's like Fifel goes west. You know, they couldn't do better than the American tale, and then Fifel <laughs> goes west comes out, and you're like, mm, I have faith in the world again. Um, oh my gosh. I loved that they had the history. That's what I think makes me oscillate yeah. between the second and the third. Or, I'm sorry, Ooh. the first and the second, which I like more because I love a spelled out history, which I kind of just told you before in <laughs> watching the documentary I did. And when it started out with that, and I was like, yes, we're going to figure out what's going on, you know, and I never felt dumped in to the movie in such a way that I couldn't figure out what was going on in the first, but I always am like, I always leave a movie like that. And I'm like, Oh, how did they get to there? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know. So for me, it answered the question that I definitely left with. And I, I love that. I love that. So I think that transitions perfectly unless y'all have anything you want to add first into some that ain't right material, because I, that works for what I want to say. Is there anything you guys want to say before we transition into that ain't right? No, no, nope. let's go. Okay. Take it away, Andrew. Sure as hell ain't right. So for me personally, in terms of what ain't right, there are many that could be said <laughs> about this film. Um, most of the ones I have written down, I'm sure will be taken by somebody else. And if not, I'll scoop them up. But for me, that first vision, mm. when everybody is happy and the sky is blue and the birds are chirping and life is going on as normal and the thing, the it, the vessel, that non-disclosed item that falls from the sky bringing doom yes. truly is one of my genuine, actual, real-life fears. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times in my own life I have looked up and seen those jet things that leave trails in the sky that I still don't fully understand what they are or why they're there. Nobody how does. many Right. <laughs> like natural disasters, nukes, meteors, anything like that, that changes life as we know it yeah. are huh, 
not fine to me. I can get over like movies with demons and gore <laughs> and crazy stuff. But when when like the big one happens, whatever that means, because it can take up all these different mantles, that image of the thing falling from the sky to change everybody's life <gasps> is. Yeah. Earth shattering. It ain't right. It just ain't (laughs) right at all. No. And they really play up the perfect day. (gasps) And like you said, like a baseball game, small town, like everything is just lovely. And, you know, you get that little bit of them at the store, you know, listening to the news reports. And you could tell he's like kind of concerned. And that is one thing I I have to pour some love on John Krasinski. I, his face and his ability to convey emotion with his face is fantastic. (laughs) I mean, I will own that I loved the American office and I loved his character, Jim. (laughs) And what I loved the most was, you know, they do these clips of him, you know, talking in the room, doing the secret. And he wouldn't say anything. He would just make these looks. It was Mm -hmm. always him making looks. And then when he was falling in love with Pam. It was like looks between them. So in this movie, and what is he in that first 15 minutes, 10 Mm -hmm. minutes, the amount of different things that he conveyed with just his, his looks to the camera. I was just like, that is, that is remarkable. I'm, I'm not an actor. I've never been involved in any of that, but I am just super impressed with his ability to show so many different emotions without saying a word, which is perfect for a quiet mm-hmm. place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Jess, do you want to go next? What is your, that ain't right. My, that ain't right. Well, Asia, I just want to give you a wholehearted like high five on the <laughs> existential dread of things <laughs> just coming. Cause I'm kind of the same way, like absolutely. And, you know, since you're the Anna grammarian i am a six mm-hmm. through and through so like when things are going really well i'm just waiting <laughs> for the shoe to drop i'll tell you like wait a minute this baseball game that sky's a little too blue things so i completely agree with you and that was my that ain't right because oh. i feel like and i don't mean to steal it from you we can definitely like tag team it sure. because i think it's a lot of not right to go around. It's a lot of, and I feel like, like you said, it's, I wouldn't say I'm actively like, I really think they're aliens in this, but <laughs> it's real enough. Like, I feel like it's one of those things that I definitely, the idea of something coming that you cannot stop. And here you are. And when they start leaving with their children, I think that, again, it adds that layer of like, if it was you, but then you caring and figuring out and nobody knows what's going on. Like just they did that chaos scene Mm. so well, like it's just, you know, it's coming, but then when it does, it like hits hard and it's immediately Mm -hmm. just everybody everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, I agree with you. That that brings up to me the most that ain't right feeling. Yeah. The set geography in that scene, because it's absolute chaos. Like it's cars mm-hmm. and going all over the place and going forward and backing up and there's a bus coming and they're in a, like 
but like you can tell how the town is laid out where they're going who got left where like even though it's chaos you can still follow the plot which i really appreciate it's like it's not like a shaky cam like i Mm -hmm. i don't know what's happening it's like it is it is very controlled chaos (laughs) in the hands of a very capable director to show us like just the absolute nightmare that was that first day Mm -hmm. i'm gonna do two because you guys go for the same one yeah yeah (laughs) so the first one i'm gonna say is um because i think it'll be a little bit shorter um the when um reagan is that her name Uh, millicent's character reagan um leaves like the foundry and she's walking along the train tracks she gets to the train station she's looking for a first aid kit in the train so just before mm-hmm. she goes into the train, you, she's walking along the platform and you just see women's shoes yep. littering the platform. Yes. And it's like, it's the potato chips of the first movie, right? Like nobody touched the potato chips because it's going to make a sound. And it's the same with like the clicky, clicky high heel shoes. Like everybody took off their shoes and just abandoned them there because yeah. they figured out it was sound. And then they had to leave. It's like, it's just a, a really gut wrenching, like realization being like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I understand why those are there. Um, the second one is the bear trap. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it has to be said. It just that was, has that was to my be backup. Said. Yeah. Oh, the bear trap. Um, so for those who um, may not remember or haven't seen, um, they have to leave their farm. They are walk into um, like a foundry, like a factory type place. Um, the mom accidentally sets off a, an, an alarm. She trips like a wire that makes cans and bells and whatever ring. So it, it, the monsters are coming. They start running, like just taking off to find a safe place. And the uh, eldest son. Yeah. Marcus. Marcus. So I'm like the eldest son. The other one's a baby. It's not walking. <laughs> off. Um, he runs into a bear trap and gets his foot stuck and then just <gasps> screams obviously oh. step in a bear trap you are gonna scream and she has to like cover his mouth and she is just the panic on the mom's face and that's like yeah. i <laughs> i mean it is not the same thing at all but in like my life when i have like two kids that are crying and trying to get my attention and complaining about things that they've done to each other and i'm trying to cook dinner and something else is happening over here and my phone starts ringing and like i I have the list in my head of all the things that i still have to like that overwhelmed feeling of like i cannot handle all of the things that are happening right now so like that feeling but like amplified because my son's in a bear trap. I just had a baby in the world. And <laughs> we're going to die. She's still, and let's not forget and her she's foot just, is still healing from that nail. From like nail, bandage yeah. foot. It's too much. Like, it is too much for one woman to handle. <laughs> and then her. Yeah. It's like the, it's one of those moments that genuinely can't get any worse than it already is. Mm-hmm. It, right. Literally a bear trap. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that ain't right. Can yeah, I tag yeah. on something real quick in all of that? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I thought you had another one. So I'm sorry if I like took no. the no, you let's no. just all do another round now. <laughs> it's just it's a quick, it's just when you realize that Marcus has locked himself in the in the vault. When yeah. the towel falls off and it clicks yes. shut and he is completely stuck in there. Yeah. 
Oh, the dread. I think that's the nail of this version. I was going to say it's the nail of this movie because in the first movie, she's carrying the laundry up. You see the nail go up and you're like someone stepping on that nail. Yeah. And then when they first go into that pipe, Yep, and yeah. it, it intentionally shows the towel and the lock you're like, coming over top of it. You're like, well, that towel's getting moved and people are getting locked in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, That's going to be a problem at some yeah. point. <laughs> Who's it going to be? Yeah. Oh, well, I think we're all very eager to get into all of the other juicy elements of this film. So <laughs> bye bye with Andrew singing. That sure as hell ain't right. So who wants to go first? <laughs> um, I mentioned or like close to the top that it is it is less quiet, more place. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to touch on that for a second because um, I love the how little dial how little spoken dialogue there is in the first movie. Mm-hmm. I think there's like twenty five or thirty lines in the first movie. They're like almost no spoken dialogue. Most of it is is in ASL, American Sign Language. Um, in this movie, because like in the first movie, you have just the family and the family, because they have a deaf child, all of them sign to communicate with that child. And um, that's not always the case in the real world, but it's nice that that is the case in the movie, that the whole family has learned sign language to communicate with a daughter that is deaf. Um, but because now you have the father missing and you have Killian Murphy kind of stepping into that protector role. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you lose a lot of the quiet of the quiet place because mm-hmm. you you introduce now a character who doesn't know sign language. And right. so th- they have to adapt to meet his communication needs, which is is oral. And she does, a, I think Millicent does a really amazing job. Uh, I mean, her character, Reagan, um, does a really amazing job of communicating with him. Like mm-hmm. she's very, it's it's an excellent example of of kind of what deaf people go through, like, on an almost daily basis of like adapting to the hearing world and being mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to figure out a way to communicate with each other. So I'm going to, I'm still going to sign, but I'm going to, I'm also going to like quietly verbalize to you. I'm going to mime it out to you. I'm going to gesture it to you. I'm going to make you understand mm-hmm. my point and get it across. And she's willing to do that. And in, in, in like the way that she goes about doing that and the way that, it kind of melts his hardened heart <laughs> mm-hmm. is something yeah. that I really, um, even though I would, I would love it to be a quiet place. I would love it to, to focus more on that quiet aspect of it and not, not introduce so much talking. I, I think it's a lovely touch. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, I thought about when specifically in the moments when it's just her and him having to communicate um, it, there's such a trope nowadays in films that feature deaf characters of like, oh, well, they can just read lips and they specifically address not, not just in movies in real life. Right. <laughs> right. And they but they specifically address like the first time he has to really try to talk to her like oh, like, OK, I can't just talk to you at a normal pace the way I would normally talk to anybody else. You know, she has to prompt him to enunciate, to look at to Right. Make eye contact. Yeah. Yes. Um, And so that was something that even if it, 
I, I find that it's it's probably going to be completely impossible for anybody who either is not deaf or who has not grown up like amongst deeply amongst the deaf community, like will not ever be able to know exactly like what is considered a great representation and what is not. Mm. But it, that at least was something that was like, oh, like it's not just this thing that's sort of dismissed quickly and that she can just, you know, yeah. champion read lips. It's, it's something that I, I mean, uh, so again, going back to the first movie, something that I really loved about it was the care that they took into replacing things in their home that made sound. Mm. So for example, uh, they ate on like leaves instead right. of plates and on the monopoly board, they had like felt pieces right. yeah. instead of the actual monopoly pieces. Um, and, and it's because things make noise that deaf people don't know make noise. Right. Like, yes, like there's a a game me and my siblings used to play with my dad when we were younger. And now my kids play with my dad. And it's it's going to sound maybe not so good to people who aren't who who don't have deaf family members. But like people in the deaf community play this game all the time is is what sound does this make? (laughs) Oh, wow. So my kids will like take a stuffed animal and ask my dad, like, what sound do you think this makes? And he'll just like, yes. Um, And so there's some animals that he knows and there's some animals that he doesn't know. And like, there was a really funny one where my kids was like octopus. And my dad was like, ink, ink, ink. (laughs) It didn't occur to him that some animals don't make a sound. So he's like, all animals make sounds. What sound would this one make? Ink, ink, ink. Um, So they're like, when they, so we don't realize how much we rely on subtle, like audio clues for things. Like when we are cooking or doing things, like when you close a cupboard, you know, it's closed because of the like that that small noise yeah. when you put a plate down there's a sound it makes when it contacts the table right and when you are a deaf person you don't have that odd like even though we're not like aware that that's the reason that like we do things a certain way um deaf people put plates down harder because mm-hmm. they have to feel it connect right they close mm-hmm. cupboards harder because they have to feel the connection they have to feel that vibration of the cupboard is closed um, same thing with walking down the stairs. Like people growing up, people were always like, your house must have been really quiet because your parents were deaf. I was like, opposite. They don't know how much noise they make because they they have to feel things and do things a little bit harder in order to get that like vibrational sense, that tactile sense that things are happening. So that was something I really loved about the first movie that um, they didn't have so much of in the second movie because they were away from their home and they're not world building anymore. They're expanding that world, mm. right? But the other thing, too, is the fact that Millicent Simmons is deaf Mm. is super important to all of those pieces because it, what is the English word for this, elevates, it elevates the other actors around her, Mm. right? So the Abbots look like a family that all sign together because they have to sign in order to communicate with the the deaf actress, Mm -hmm. right? Killian Murphy has to make that effort to look Millicent in the eye when he's delivering his lines so that she can read her lips and know her cues as an actress, right? When you have somebody who is playing a deaf role, Mm. you don't have those, right? Mm. Those, those things, they did, they're just not done as well because you're not required to provide access because they know what's going on because they can hear, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that she is deaf and she's in this movie really makes all of that stuff 
all the more believable. It adds yeah. that extra layer that just really takes the movie up like 12 notches. Well, and I think one thing that is so I I have a really hard time when 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 there are certain plot points that just feel very convenient and this is not one of those I hate right. to say franchises, but there's multiple now, so I kind of have to. In that <laughs> the it's not like, oh, this is a family that's very resourceful and the deaf factor is also like a portion of it. It's like, no, this family yeah. has survived as long and as successfully and well as they have because they all already knew how to communicate non-verbally. That's yeah. the reason for their success in this dystopian reality that they're now living in. So yeah. it's not just a, a matter of convenience to the plot. They have made it integral to the very essence of why they're still here. Um, yeah. Jess, and the like fact that her oh, cochlear uh, implant is, is broken and remains broken. So like people look at hearing aids or cochlear implants or assistive devices like that as like a cure for deafness. But the fact that like they never got it to work for her, but in its brokenness is providing help for other people. Mm. And the fact that she remains deaf is the salvation potentially for everybody. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Jess, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm this is fascinating. I have to say, like, I mean, I feel like it it brings the movie to a new level. Like, you know, I respected the fact that they used a real deaf actress, but didn't even put together what that would mean for them gelling as a cast and what yeah. they would need to do. Because like you said, it wasn't someone playing a deaf character. You know, they actually had to gel in this way to make this movie work. And that's just, that is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it never even occurred to me until this film, it was the scene on the train when she is unaware of the fact well it's right it's it's not when the monster the alien is first seen as stalking her but it's it's pretty much when you know that that's probably going to be coming that was the first time it really clicked for me that she was completely unaware of how loud she could could or was being mm -hmm. like all, during the first film and the first portion of this film i thought about it in terms of we'll just you know everyone has to be quiet because it's going to bring the monsters in but it did not click with me until that moment on the train that she can't know she yeah. cannot know how loud she is how loud she is breathing she yeah. cannot know and that just oh like you it it made the tension just immaculate yeah, the thing with um like cochlear implant devices, um, and I and again, this is another like layer of realism to the movie that I really appreciate is um so you have hearing aids, which is like an external device that has um um like a a piece that goes in your ear and then it goes around your ear and it just amplifies sound. So you have like it amplifies what your ears are able to do on their own um and brings in sounds. Um, whereas a cochlear implant is for sensorineural hearing loss. So it goes into the, the cochlea of the ear and destroys any residual hearing that you have. Um, because there, there's a component that's in the head and then the magnetic piece 
and the processor that goes outside of the head. So that's what she has. Um, so she is profoundly deaf without that. Um, to your point, Asia. So she like, it's not even like if she had a, a hearing aid, like that there's some sound, maybe a high pitch or a low pitch frequency that she could hear. No, when you have that um, installed, it, it completely destroys any residual hearing. So she cannot hear anything. And it echo it harkens back to the first movie where he takes this, um, he, as in Lee, the dad, takes the son to the river. And he doesn't mm-hmm. want, he, it's not that he doesn't want to take his daughter, it's he's scared to take his daughter. Because exactly of that fact is that she, if they step off that sand path, she can't hear any noise that she makes. She could step on a twig, a branch or something, make a sound completely innocently and attract the monsters, right? And then now this is, this is his fear realized on that train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really like that callback. So one question that I have written down and we can, the, we don't have to park here for a long time, but probably, you know, one of the biggest themes of this whole movie is sort of rising to the occasion, especially while you're dealing with fear or trauma, grief, stress, um, impossible, you know, impossible. What's the word I'm looking for? Barriers or problems Mm. or monsters, aliens (laughs) and all that. And the question that this movie, I think really brings up to me and whether this is something that we actually want to share personally from our lives or to just sort of kick around in a more um, atmospheric existential sort of way would be, what are you capable of when you have to be? Mm. Um, I don't know if any of us are truly aware of what we can rise to when there is no other option than to be brave. And I don't know whether that pings on any experience that we've had as individuals or if that makes us think of something that we want to aspire to or if there's even a moment in this film that that made us want to ponder that. I don't know. That that was the biggest question that came for up for me in this. And I'd love to hear about it from you, too. Yeah. So I have to tell you what came to mind when you first put this out, because I feel the same way. Like I... I enjoy watching survival movies. I'd like to, I enjoy physical challenges. It's something mm-hmm. I chase. I love obstacle course racing and things like that. Like, I like the idea of pushing yourself physically to your limits. Mental, that's totally different. And I feel like when you're <laughs> using to do something in a safe environment to act like you could go, you know, do something where your life's at stake is a totally different thing. And I have no aspirations towards that that type of thing. But I do always kind of watch movies like this, like, Oh, could I like, of course, we were talking about the first one, you know, (laughs) could I have a child and be quiet? Like, that's literally the most amazing thing. Thank goodness I wasn't required to be quiet. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I literally had the nurse say, you need to calm down and focus your energy. And I was like, okay, okay, thank you. Um, But one of the reasons I ended up circling to the Watcha of that movie is I saw a picture in the, I believe it was the New York times. I think this picture is out there a good bit, but it's a picture of four middle-aged women like in their, in the Ukraine, in their regular clothing, like winter coats, 
jeans with like assault rifles going to go defend somewhere. And the one woman, like the headline was like, you know, Julia, a teacher is, you know, headed and I, I can't remember where, but she's just bawling. And this picture, I just cannot get it out of my, I mean, like she looks like a group of my friends, you know, me. And I just can't imagine. So like, I think of this movie and just like you said, what could I call forth? I, I don't know, you know, it, it, and I think that's the thing that scares me. Like if I had to protect my children in this way, because even rewatching this movie, I was watching it with my 19 year old and she's like, you know, why are they working so hard to survive? I think I would just give up. And I was trying to explain to her, like, (laughs) there's something, at least to me, that I feel like when you do have children, I think just the will to survive on your own is pretty huge too. But I think there's something instinctual for sure in doing that. So I don't know, all these thoughts, I don't know if they're coming together into anything that makes sense, but it's like, this is obviously a fictional movie, but I just felt it bleed into a lot of really real things I'm seeing um, just for some people's real life. And um, I can't help but think about what would I do? Could I stay calm when my child has a bear? Could I be the calm one? Would I be the hysterical one? I mean, the odds are, you know, <laughs> not known for my calmness. I gotta be honest. <laughs> Asia? You know, it's interesting. I, I remember thinking when I was watching the movie for this session right here, thinking, I'm not Emily Blunt in this movie. I wish I could remember what the character's name is. Um, Evelyn. 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 Yes. Okay. Um, I'm not Evelyn. I don't. And again, I also don't have children. And so who knows the human I might find myself being when that season of my life begins. Um, But where I stand today, I am profoundly not Eveliny, there is this complete tenacity and this glorious toughness about her. I even wrote down at one point, kind of the first time she's able to just sit down when um, Emmett takes them down into uh, the little His area. Bunker? Yeah, the know. bunker, yeah. we'll call it that. When he takes her down there and she sits for the first time, really just gets a chance to sit down. I wrote down, that is the face of a woman that needs a cigarette. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Good call. And I found myself a lot more in this film relating to Emmett, who is in a very broken place, which is interesting to contrast the fact that, you know, his wife had passed 11 weeks prior um, and it seems as though he has only been spiraling downwards since that happened. Whereas and he lost his kids. That, that is day, true. Would it have been that day? I, I interpreted that as being the day that the aliens showed up. Yeah. The first day. Yeah. 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 
Um, so he is now completely alone. Mm-hmm. And because I think I connected to his struggle more than I connected to the struggle of um, the Abbots, that's their last name. I had a really mm-hmm. hard time with names in these movies. They don't say them, I think, no. in the movies. Yeah. yeah. It, it's in the credits. You, you learn their names. Um, I think even though I relate to, I relate to Emmett's struggle the most. And because I think he, he appears and shows up in this film as, as such a broken character, his again, rise to bravery alongside the daughters, Reagan, Reagan's that to me was profoundly inspiring and it's you know it's not just because you know he's killian eyes blue as the sea murphy (laughs) um didn't hurt but i loved watching somebody who had given up you know he he was pretty much in a place where he was willing to let them die out there the sun is in a bear trap and he doesn't I'm, i'm trying to remember this accurately but i don't think he goes to help them until after he realizes that she's useful. Yeah. Um, He's watching them through a sight in his right. 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 But he doesn't fire at the thing. Um, The mom does. Right. So watching his ascent from such brokenness to selflessness uh, and bravery to me was just wildly inspiring and beautiful. Um, I don't think I've had to rise to that yet in my life, but I love knowing that stories like this exist to call back to should I need to. Yeah. I have a, so apocalypse movies in general frighten me existentially because I'm painfully aware of how I am not a strong person. Like physically, um, thinking of myself as a female in the apocalypse who is not a, like physically a strong person, I'm very easily overpowered. That it's it's so thinking about if Rob wasn't there, what mm. would I do? Terrifies me. And so when Lee is gone, and like it's a mom who just had a baby, mm. um, and her deaf daughter and their son and like they're alone in a place where they have to be quiet. And she finds the strength to step up and, and cock that gun and take them out into the world to find help, to find something, to find hope um, is amazing and inspiring to me. And I don't know if I could do that, but I do know that I would do anything for my kids. Mm. So like, I know that as a a Christian, like I am called to lay down my life for even my enemy. Mm. And I would like to think that I would do that, but I don't know because I've never been in that situation. I know a hundred percent that I would lay my life down for my kids. Mm. If it could give them a minute to, you know, take the emergency brake on a car and drive away or to distract a monster so they can get in like a pipe safely or like whatever the case may be. I know, I know that I would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so maybe I could find the strength, but I don't know because, but that's also like the most extreme of situations, right? Like, yeah, like knock on wood, we don't have sound monsters (laughs) anywhere (laughs) that we know of. Um, Yeah, like in my actual life, I am able to compartmentalize. Like, I am a very, I'm nice. Like (laughs) I was, (laughs) thank you. I was born (laughs) in the right time in Canada. Mm. And like, this is the place I should be because I'm just, I'm nice. And I like being nice. (laughs) And I like being a little bit naive and I'm okay with that. Um, And, but um, with my job, sometimes there are instances where the material is um, difficult like with because I have to maintain confidentiality so but without giving too much away like anytime there is a child interacting with like police and they have to to disclose something like sometimes they require an interpreter and so in those instances like it's hard is very hard um and there is a real potential for vicarious trauma um in those instances the same thing with like women in shelters and things like that, when they speak to kids, like that's, it's really hard. It's really hard to have their words pass through you. And uh, I'm able to compartmentalize. Like I just switch on into like interpreter mode. And, and I don't know, it's like, it's like a suit of armor goes on and I'm, I'm okay. (laughs) And I don't know how I do that, but I do that. Um, or like my middle daughter in the last summer was bitten by a dog, like a big dog, grabbed her elbow and pulled her to the ground. And I wasn't with her um, when it happened. I was with my youngest who was having a meltdown, but um, she was brought to me and I was furious and I wanted to cry and I was mad and, and I was scared for her and she was scared. And I, you know, guilt, I should have been there, like all that stuff. Um, but so I don't know, something just like switches in your brain. You're like, I need to do what I need to do for this kid right now. I can't worry about me or how I'm feeling or who should have been where and who do, should have done what. Like, I need to take care of her needs in this moment. Um, and so like comforting her and making her feel not scared um, about her elbow, about the dog, about like whatever, like whatever I have to do to to make her like this isn't a core memory of like just awfulness right. for her. Like <laughs> I am willing right. to do as her mom. Um, yeah. And that's like, that's the closest analog I can think of. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, it's just like putting yourself aside for the people that need you, whether it's personally or professionally. Mm. Absolutely. And I think like you said, Asia, there's something about watching these stories and i think it's just it helps strengthen your resolve you know Mm. that you would do these things when push comes to shove you know and we none of us know what our lives hold you know what um things will be asked to step up to you know and as much as i like to dwell in guessing and planning it's Mm. truly (laughs) truly impossible but i i don't know i i I definitely ring with what you're saying with just you don't know what you would do, but you're like, I do know that my 
love for my children is that deep that as much as I can say here today, you know, I would do that for them. I think one thing that I love about this film and you both have have echoed this, which is one reason why I think this was a great movie for the three of us to talk about is you both have expressed that you would do absolutely anything for your children. And what I love about this movie is that this shows what that willingness to do anything instills in them once it is done. Mm. Even though they are all grieving the loss of their father, and that is a profound trauma that they will deal with for the rest of their lives, and in this moment makes everything else that they do that much harder. But it is also because of his willingness to give up himself in that way that they then felt the ability, the permission, the freedom, the resolve to go then and do the same. Yeah. yeah. They yeah, did. They- I really loved how I, I felt like they were showing us that Marcus was, you know, I mean, he's a little kid for goodness mm-hmm. sake, but like he had a little bit of anxiety going on, you know, that mm-hmm. the baseball game, it was like his mom is, you know, signing breathe. So they kind of, I caught that he, you know, was a little bit more of an anxious kid. And then, you know, the scene of him, you know, uh, with his hands over his ears with his dad. And then the next shot of the beginning of this movie was him with his little brother and he's doing that again, you know, and just how he just has a great, again, look of just Freddie. Like he really can capture where you just like see his terror, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, when the, the song comes on for the first time and they've realized, you know, that there's other people and he's just so, I just really related with him that you could see he is really working to, you know, stay as strong as his little self can. And then I think you get a different thing with Reagan. Like, I feel like she's kind of, you know, I mean, obviously scared, but coming into her own and I just love the determination they give her. And I think that's one of the strong points of this movie. I just, I love her, you know, I love mom, but I love Reagan, like when she just will not take no for an answer and kind of goes, you know, toe to toe with a grown man, like there, you know, there's something out there and she's not going to like, let it go. And she's, you know, doing it for her dad, you know, and just like you said, Asia, carrying that mantle. And, um, I just, I really, I really, that I hit him. I love it. Yeah. I think that like in the first movie, um, in after um, mom has given birth and um, Lee takes them down to the basement and they're having their conversation. And she says like, who are we? Like, if we can't protect them, if we can't keep them safe. Um, And in this movie is you see like the dad has, he sacrificed himself to keep his kids safe. And you see the fruit of that Mm -hmm. in this movie is Yes, they've gone through loss. Yes, they've gone through hardship. But in preparing their children, in caring for their children, in providing certain degrees of normalcy, like you see um, the mom and Marcus doing like division in the first movie, right? Mm -hmm. 
And like, but like, clearly they've been teaching them throughout. Clearly they have been doing all of the things that parents should do. And most importantly, I, like I keep in the last episode we did, Life is Beautiful. I kept harping mm-hmm. on this too, like hope, yep. instilling hope in their hope. kids. Um, and you see the fruit of that in this movie, right? It's it It really is them, like she can read a map. She mm-hmm. can problem solve. Right. Like they can, they can, they've been equipped with skills, even during this apocalypse, like, you know, simple life skills and, you know, like educational skills that are equipping them to survive and not only survive, but help. Mm -hmm. And you see like the sacrifice of, of dad and the willingness of, of his daughter to carry on and, you know, she's willing to take on that risk herself to help others. And that's something that's been instilled and passed along. And so it is a lovely continuation um, of themes from the first movie that it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I like it. (laughs) And even, and even not just carrying it on themselves, but then also, I guess, leading a bit more into sort of the triumphal overcoming element of it all. The sacrifice of Lee has Mm -hmm. empowered his children to then come into their own power who then inspire like Killian, you can lock me in your vault anytime you want Murphy to (laughs) come into his own, right? Not, not just even his own power. Yes, there is power there, but then to also shed um, it's not just, I don't want to just call it selfishness because it it is, it is fear that has been so deeply beat into him through extreme pain despair like he's right. fallen into yeah. despair yeah yeah total yeah. despondency and reagan has reminded him that that is not the only way left to live that there is yeah. a better way to survive there is a better way to die if need be and i think it was a really beautiful moment and it struck me and it it really shows you that there's even more humanity left in him than you would think and he's he's obviously exceeded expectations by you know choosing to go after Reagan choosing to stay with Reagan choosing to help Reagan along in her endeavor to find where the signals coming from but when they get to the pier the docks mm-hmm. and there is a little girl who supposedly appears to be in need he does not hesitate at all mm-hmm to lean down, to put his weapon down and lean down to her. I don't know if it maybe is just because, oh my gosh, there's another child and I haven't seen another child except these guys I'm now with for a long time, or maybe she was the same age as his own children when they died. But he, He all of that's- He doesn't stand back and watch. He helps. Mm -mm. Right. And I think that shows- the growth um, and not, you know, it backfires to an extent, um, <laughs> but he doesn't revert to his old ways. He, uh, which first off that the foreshadowing with the dive sign from the oh, very beginning of the movie yes. to when yes. he later implements it to help Reagan escape from these, uh, I don't hobo cannibals. I don't know what they are. <laughs> Yeah, hobo cannibals. Let's go with that. <laughs> Horribly sunburned it. hobo cannibals. Which yeah. I felt like they had 
and the others feel from Lost. Oh, like I got major kind of. Lost vibes <laughs> in that sequence. Like, uh, sorry, I'm kind of taking it down another, but like when they were at the docks, it totally reminded me of when the others had stolen Walter. Mm. back in whatever season one of lost and there's a couple other things <laughs> like that little village when they finally get to the island when they're in the houses that completely reminded me of lost anyway sorry <laughs> I don't know there. it's okay that's why we got invited back i don't know i know i just i was like is this is so weird and i kind of kept looking i'm like nope they're only talking about that pizza parlor from the name and jaws it's the only <laughs> shout out i'm finding <laughs> um yeah the i really enjoy how like fear spreads so quickly mm. um and you see that in that opening sequence in the movie, right? Like something's falling from the sky, people are grabbing their kids, and then just all heck breaks loose, and it's chaos, and it's it's fear. It's fear spreading. Everybody is terrified. But you can spread hope in the same way, and that's what that's what Reagan does. She gives back hope to um, to Emmett, who then, even though those those hobo cannibals like capture him they try to take her away the monsters come like he's still determined to get to that island and bring hope to those people and then the people on the island are willing to help spread hope outside of the island through their signal right like mm. like fear can spread quickly but so can this wonderful thing as well and i like i like the juxtaposition of that in the movie i also like going back to that doc scene i didn't mention this earlier i love that he puts the cochlear implant oh. in his mouth oh that is brilliant. Amazing. We had this kid at camp at deaf camp one year who it was his first time at deaf camp. He had a cochlear implant. And do you, like people don't do this anymore because everybody has a phone on them all the time. But he got thrown in the lake. Like mm. the staff members, like, I don't know, were playing a joke or whatever. He got like picked him up and like made sure his pockets and stuff were empty and then threw him in the lake. Forgot to take his processor off. Oh, yeah. And it got wet. And it was the first time that he had ever experienced profound deafness because his processor got wet. It like we put it in rice and fixed it. But but yeah, like those things cannot get wet. They cannot be submerged. So the fact that he had like the forethought to like put it in his mouth and keep it safe, keep it safe so that they could bring it to the island is brilliant. We all love the, you know, foresightedness of Killy. And of course, you can keep me in your attic after I'm dead, Murphy. <laughs> choking and dying it's fine <laughs> so good so like, good that could that could easily have been a that ain't right there when uh little marcus finds uh emmett's 11 weeks dead wife up oh, in the yeah. uh in the attic yeah. that's a whole that's yeah. a whole uh another se series of counseling yeah. that they're gonna have to go through <laughs> or he is at least oh boy um so i sense maybe does anyone have anything else that they want to add about the themes of this movie? I, I just, I can't, I guess I almost want to put more of like a conclusion to those themes with that moment where um, Emmett is talking to sort of, I guess you kind of get the impression he's the leader of the island folk that mm -hmm. they find. And they're talking about how did you get here? You know, how have you all been living since all of this happened? What took place? And the the gentleman in charge asks Emmett, 
you know, you came here, you know, she, she endeavored on this mission to get help is what he asks. And then Emmett just sort of with this profound sense of awe, he just says no to give it Mm -hmm. after everything that they have been through. It's easy to lose sight of what it was that Reagan set off to do, which wasn't to get help. All she wanted to do was figure out who else was there and keep helping. And I think that that's probably the reason why she was so not okay, but I think that's the reason why she kept having forward momentum when Marcus kept wanting to fall backwards Mm. is because she insisted that the way forward was to give help rather than to just get it. And that just, yeah. What's that? I also loved that one sweet little scene. Oh, I'm sorry. That one sweet little scene when she, when Reagan's telling Marcus that she, you know, I need to go out you know, and he is basically like, mom's going to say no. And I'm like, even in an apocalypse, the kids, (laughs) they know mom's going to say no. And they go ahead and make the plan anyway. And I was like, this is good. I mean, it's just like, that is one level of normalcy. That was just (laughs) right, right there. Kids being kids, man. Yep. Yep. Love it. (laughs) All right. So um, as we're winding down, we're going to pivot to the fog meter. And we are back since we're doing horror movies again. It is fear and oh my gosh, what is the other one? God. God. <laughs> fear God is this fear of faith. What is this podcast? We did it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So we rate movies fear and God. So on the fearometer, Jess, what would you give a quiet place to? I. There were definitely some good jumps you guys had named. I have to throw in just one more quick one. Do you guys remember when they're on the island driving and the monster's on that convertible with the <laughs> top and they yes. think it's off? Oh, my gosh. And we just, like, you relax. You're like, oh, wow. They, like, threw it off and it, like, jumped. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that was just fun. Me and my daughter both screamed. So that was that was good. <laughs> so I'm going to say, like, it just had some good classic jump scares. I'm going to give it an eight because I felt like for a short of a movie as it was, I can think of like 10 things that I yelled out loud at. So I feel like this pretty good ratio. Asia. <sighs> Fear. Uh, the, uh, the tension in this movie is mm. insane. It's you're just, even if maybe this isn't, maybe this is a movie that you'd, lo- I'd lose sleep over. I, <sighs> the tension is wonderful. And I, I guess I kind of didn't feel uh, the way that Vera did at the beginning of, uh, like, oh, they're probably going to make it out because now it has become a franchise. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I thought the kids were going to get hurt, but I did think either one of the adults were up for grabs. And that to me was profoundly terrifying because, of course, you know, I you just can't stomach the thought of their mom dying. And I really desperately did not want Killian. I'd let you slit my throat with your jawline Murphy to die. <laughs> had in this episode I just got through the last one um I was I was very on edge the tension was wonderful excellent jump scares 
I I'm going to echo. I'm going to, I'm actually going to give it a nine. Gosh, that's what feels right to me. I, I was just, yeah. oof, it was unrelenting. Yeah. Um, I, I said at the beginning, I didn't feel as though it was as unrelenting or as high stakes as the first one, but that also doesn't mean that I wasn't scared because I was, there are tons, there's a lot of tension. There are a lot of scares. So I am also going to give it an eight. And now we go to the second part, which is God, which I didn't forget. (laughs) Asia, what do you give it on the God meter? Uh, This is a uncaveated 10 for me. I just, I walked away so edified by this film. I couldn't believe it. I was just, the amount of times I have the actual word written down, like just with how I was feeling in wonderfulness was towards the end was a lot. So this is, this is a 10 for me. Mm-hmm. Jess. I, I am also going to give it a 10. And I think it's like, as I was sitting here processing some of the things you guys have said, one of the things that struck me that I think you said, or no, Asia, you had said like, you know, her deafness, like allowed them to survive as long as they have just because they had all these skills they developed and it just it's like the great reversal like it's just beautiful that what looks like something that would kind of hold her back and you know in the first movie when she's really struggling with tension with her dad because she wants to go and do stuff and he's trying to protect her in that final scene where he's like you know i have always loved you because Mm. it's like you just get the sense that she feels somewhat held back you know because she can't go and do the things she wants to do and then you just see how no like she is gifted like and i just I love that. That to me is the gospel mm-hmm. right there. Like the 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 beauty of the brokenness that it's not just something to be fixed. It's something new and even better than, you know, Oof. they could have imagined. Oof. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, there's a saying in the in the deaf community. It's just two words, deaf can. They are capable oh. of doing so many things. They just do it differently. Um, and that's beautifully captured what you just said, Jess. Um, I'm going to give it um, also an eight. You guys said 10, 10, eight. I'm, the only reason I'm digging it down is because it didn't make me cry. The, mm. <laughs> the first one, I bawled my eyes out only three times in horror movies. Babadook, this, and The Walking Dead Telltale video game episode five. The only three times I've ever cried in a horror movie. I bawled my eyes out in the first one. This one, while I think there are some really wonderful emotional touch points, I just, I didn't cry. I just didn't cry. Anyway, <laughs> and that's the only reason. That's okay. That's the okay. only reason. But I think that the, the message of hope and help and of going forth in the world and not just remaining sheltered, but when you have something to give to the world, to go and bring it to the world, I think is a wonderful, wonderful message. Um, and a wonderful takeaway from this movie. So that means that we give Quiet Place 2. Um, it's a decimal point. I'm going to round up. Mm-hmm. You're going to round yep. up because yes. it deserves yep. to be rounded up mm-hmm. a nine. Ooh. A nine. Mm-hmm. So very well deserved. Yes. 
Um, but would we recommend? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I really, and I think Nathan had said this about the first movies, like, and I like to refer to, I, I like horror light. I'm just going to own my lane. <laughs> I'm going to own my lane. I guess that would be what you call a thriller. Sure. That's always going to kind of be my favorite place. Like, I don't need to see all the viscera. I mean, I can just, it, I know it's going on. I know things are bad, but um, so I feel like this is one you can recommend to all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I echo what you said. Like, I think that I would wholeheartedly recommend um, almost no caveats. I think that, um, yes, there it's tense and yes, it is scary, but I think that watch it with somebody, you can hold hands, you both jump together and it's, it is a valuable movie to watch. It is why fear of God exists is this type of movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would say provided you've seen the first one, in other words, like if you haven't shut the dang movie off and go watch the first one, <laughs> then come back. Cause you'll like what it you even doing? more. <laughs> yeah. Like why, like what, it, why, why are you, why are you here? Um, so provided you have seen the first one, absolutely. This is a banger of a movie. Yes. Okay. So we all wholeheartedly recommend this movie. And that brings us to the end of another ladies night. But, <laughs> um, next week, uh, you're back to your regu regularly scheduled programming with your other hosts. As long as they manage to get those bells off and the monsters didn't get them, they should be back <laughs> with you to discuss, um, Patreon voted Nick Cage film. Willie's Wonderland. Yes. So if you have not seen that yet, I, I'm parody so or homage of um, Five Nights at Freddy's or Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. I think it's a horror comedy. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to watching it and hearing them discuss it next week. So get excited for Nick Cage next week, everyone. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>